Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. What I have in my heart for, for you, for us, is to discover the beauty and the profound nature of the renewed mind. I realize some of you are here for the first time tonight. I'm not going to go over the previous messages, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention some high points. <clears throat> the renewed mind creates the context for great faith to work, but faith doesn't come from the mind. It comes from the heart. This is what the heart man believes into righteousness. But the renewed mind creates the context, much like the banks of a river creates the context for faith to flow. And whenever you see people getting a renewed mind, you know your mind's renewed when the impossible looks logical. There is a, it's not an inferior reasoning. It's not a shot in the dark wish. Real faith is more absolute than all the other knowing that we can have. It is absolute. It is eternal. It is anchored in the unseen, which is eternal. And when we function in real faith and we function in the context of a renewed mind, we are actually doing something that makes moves of God sustainable. Another word for the renewed mind is mind of Christ. Another word for that is actually wisdom. Divine wisdom is the nature of the mind of Christ. In fact, Jesus is called the person of wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The person of wisdom enables us to sustain, sustain what God has given to us. And if you have any uh, exposure at all to studying uh, revival history, you know that they come and go. And people come to conclusions about the nature of revival based on revival history, which always has the failure of man in the story. It would be better to define revival by studying the nature of God than revival history. If I study revival history, I can only repeat what's already been done. But if I study the nature of God, he goes from glory to glory. And there's no end to the increase of his government. His forward motion is continuous. The scripture says that God lights the fire on the altar, but it's the priests that keep it burning. That means the, the, the revivals, the moves of God are initiated by the Lord, but they're sustained by man. So if they die out, church typically blames the sovereignty of God when actually we stopped putting flammable items on the altar. And if you want to know what the most flammable item is, it's you. I'm the offering. I, I present myself before the Lord. And that is honestly what sustains great moves of God. So Sunday morning, I talked to you a bit about how miracles help us to see. They train us to recognize and to see the Spirit of God moving, recognize how to see in the unseen realm. And I don't mean imaginary things, you know, seeing an angel fly across the room. I mean to be able to perceive the work, the move of God in unusual ways where we recognize, we know that we know something is about to happen or God just did such and such. And the more we see, the greater the authority we function in. The clearer we see, the greater the authority we can function in. Last night I talked to you about um, that God enables whatever he commands. The passage uh, that is my favorite on that is, is out of um, 
Luke chapter 1, verse 37, where he says, nothing will be impossible with God. And I, I'll never forget the teaching of Jack Taylor where he, he took, took us through the original language of that verse. And it basically comes down to this. Nothing is two words. No raiment, no freshly spoken word of God will ever be impossible or without ability. And he said it can actually be translated like this, that no freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. So when God speaks, he creates. It's important to realize that because Jesus in John 16 was talking to uh, his guys and he said, he said, um, he said, I have so much to say to you, but you can't bear it now. You don't have the weight carrying capacity for the reality that would be released over you if I said everything that was in my heart right now. The Lord is constantly testing you and he's testing me. It's not a test of success or failure. It's a test of what measure of glory can I actually live under? What can he release over my life? Because there, there is a point at which uh, that the glory that the Lord begins to release over a life, if there are fractures in my foundation that have not been dealt with, then it increases those fractures, the weightiness of responsibility. You see people that function very well in one context, but once they start having extraordinary miracles, they think they are the center of the universe. And that breakdown happens because there's fractures that never got dealt with. And so what the Lord does is he tests us because if I, carry the, if, if I carry that measure of presence and glory correctly, it doesn't fracture me, it establishes me. Yeah. Here's the cool thing about being tested. Nobody likes it, but I'll give you some good news. If you know you're being tested, that's the easy test. <laughs> See, I told you it was good news. That's the easy test, because all those tests are open book tests. The problem is when I'm being tested and I don't know it till the test is over. The prophet says to the king, strike the ground with the arrows. He hits the ground three times and the prophet says, if you only would have struck the ground five or six times, you would have annihilated the enemy. But now you're only going to have three temporary victories. How many know he wanted to take the test over? <laughs> now that I know what you're looking for, it's amazing to me that the absence of zeal in a leader cost an entire nation. We don't have the right to lead without passion. <laughs> Let me try this side. We, we don't have the right to lead without passion. I, I felt that. I felt the sincerity of that. Amen. So good. When I pray for my own family members, and I, I like to take communion and pray over each individual family member, I, I remember when my kids were growing up, I would pray for them, and I, I would pray, God, give them a heart to know you. And then once I was reading in Jeremiah 24, and he says, and I will give them a heart to know me. And I got so encouraged because I realized my prayer was biblical. <laughs> I prayed something in the Bible, and I didn't even know it. So I pray, God, give them a heart to know you, and I pray very specifically do it with purity. We will walk in purity, we will live in passion, and we will demonstrate power. We we're not willing to do this gospel without those three elements. Purity, that issue of holiness is central. Passion, I've got to burn. I can't be halfway in. I can't be just an enduring 
person. I've got to lead the way with genuine passion for him and all that he is about. And in power. Without power, it's not good news. All right, Mark chapter 4. Verse 35. You guys ready? You have your Bibles? No? Yeah. How many of you have electric, electronic? Yeah, all, right, all right. I don't care. However you have it, just get it. All right. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, he rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? This story, uh, it may be all the Gospels, but what I've noticed in my own journey is that the Gospel of Mark, for me, highlights what the renewed mind looks like clearer than any other place I know of in Scripture. And what is so profound about this story is, first of all, we have Jesus uh, sleeping in a boat, which is uh, interesting. I've, I've heard people say he wasn't really sleeping. He was just waiting for his disciples to come and get him. And uh, no, the Bible says he was sleeping. He was sleeping. I believe the whole Bible, table of contents, maps, everything. It says he was sleeping, he was sleeping. So he's sleeping in the boat, and they come and they wake him, and they ask the Savior of the world this amazing question, don't you care that we are perishing? It's amazing how personal pain discolors our image of who he is. The reason the Bible commands us to not fear more than any other commandment in Scripture. Why is that? Because fear is what separates me from the voice of God. I don't hear clearly when I'm afraid. Whenever I become anxious, my hearing is not clear. And hearing is necessary because faith comes by hearing. It's the voice of God, it's him speaking, interacting in my life that actually creates, gives to me that gift that, that enables me to, to delight his heart in ways that I couldn't otherwise. And that's through the demonstration of faith. So Jesus is sleeping in the boat. They come and they wake him and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? He gets up and he declares peace over the storm and it stops. Here's the first part of the renewed mind. Jesus could only give what he had. He slept in a storm. He slept in a life-threatening storm. You have authority over any storm you can sleep in. If you don't have peace, you can't release a peace that ends the storm. 
the inner world, our inner working, the way we view and think and, and pray and interact with people, the things that we feed our souls. I, I tell our own folks, I say, listen, if you have more input from mainstream media than the word of God, then your depression is self-imposed. You brought it on yourself. And it's not just reading the Bible in a sense of, of, of uh, going through the chapters to check the box. It's exposing yourself to what God is saying and having him read you. And so Jesus is in this moment where he is able to bring an end to a storm. And it's a beautiful story because he did. He just stood up the edge of the boat and he, he spoke peace. He said, peace be still and the storm ended. But he could only give what he had. In the renewed mind, there is the realization that internal realities shape and influence external realities. You gotta, you gotta catch this. What you have going on here will always transfer to outside of you. If you're filled with anxiety here, even if you're faking and putting on the smile, the anxiety that you carry will actually agitate the world around you. Are you alive? The internal, our internal world actually helps to shape our external world. And so Jesus has a personal triumph in that he is able to sleep in a life-threatening storm. When he got up, he was able to give what was functioning in him, and that was a peace that was greater than the storm. That qualified him to speak to the storm and end it. If you don't have that, that place of, of confidence in God in here, you'll never be able to release it around you. I, I realize that may even sound abstract or strange, but it is the normal Christian life. How many of you have been in a situation where there's great conflict between people? Or maybe you've gotten bad news. Maybe you're in a waiting room at a hospital and, and things are very tense. And then somebody comes into the room and they just make one statement and all of a sudden, everything changes. Do, do you understand what I'm talking about? That we, we've all had the experiences where we've been maybe afraid or angry or whatever. And somebody comes in with one simple word, one simple statement. And all of a sudden, the anxiety that, that held me prisoner is, is broken off. And I don't know what happened. All I know is the atmosphere of the entire room changed. Why? Jesus described it. He said, my words to you are spirit and they are life. When we say what the Father is saying, presence is released. And Jesus, in this moment, stood in, uh, with, with, with a bunch of guys that are very much afraid. And they awake him out of fear. And they question his own goodness in that moment. That he would actually ignore their nervous, their fear, and choose to sleep. And Jesus stood. And he said, peace be still. And the storm ended. So the first thing I want you to see uh, for tonight is that the renewed mind lives with the realization that internal realities shape external realities. Your inner world will influence your outer world. It's for that reason we have verses like we do in uh, 3 John, verse 2, where it says that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. You ever heard of that verse before? All right, all right, all right. I thought I might turn and preach to the drums and see if I get a, a better response. It says that you would pro may you prosper 
and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So here it's describing our outer world, our physical health, our prosperity as finances, but it's more than that. It's, it's, the, it's the wholeness and well-being that we have in life, in family, in relationships. It's the abundance of God's supply that we would prosper and be in good health even as our soul prospers. So it's describing the fact that this right here has a lot to do with, hap with what happens out here. A life verse for me, I, I've had for 50 years, is that uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. Watch over your heart. It's not introspection. It's just monitoring how well your inner world is doing. Because if, if, you, if you don't deal with fear when it first begins to creep up, it sets down roots. And anytime we give time to a dysfunction, it sets down roots and begins to affect our personality. It's, it's much harder to pull out a plant that has deep roots. So that's why we don't let the sun go down on our anger. We, we respond quickly to the challenge that every one of us face. We all face disappointment and fears, all the stuff. But it, it's, uh, there's nobody in here that's, that's uh, protected from that. We all experience it. And so learning to live on short terms, so to speak, with the Lord, where we just deal with the things as soon as they happen. We, we get along with the Lord and we, and we pray and we give him things. We learn to walk in forgiveness and all of that thing. So all right, let's move on uh, into the rest of the story. So uh, we have here in verse uh, 39, it says, he arose, he rebuked the wind. Uh, he rebuked the wind. Please notice that. Not every storm is natural. There's no need to rebuke something if there's not demonic behind it. He arose, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? This is the part of the story that gets me the most. What do we have going on in this story? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. What do we call a conversation with God? Prayer. So the disciples did what in this moment? Don't you care that we're perishing? That's prayer. Follow me. Jesus then answered their prayer. Yes? And then said, how come you don't have any faith? See, I grew up thinking that my, my, thank you. I was a little delayed, but it's all right. It's, uh, <laughs> I grew up thinking my job was to pray and God's job was to do stuff. See, Jesus had been working with his disciples. Say to the mountain, be removed. Is that a geographical command? Or is he talking about the mountains of opposition we have to the purposes of God, that which stands in the way of his design? What did he, what did he tell them at the beginning of the story? We're going to the other side. The life-threatening storm is what? It's a mountain of opposition. They wanted Jesus to fix the problem. 
Is there anything wrong with that? Not when you're a new believer. But when you pray that way 20 years later, oftentimes we will, um, we ask God to do what he told us to do. How many times have you heard it prayed? You've never done it, but you have friends that have. Well, they have prayed and they've said, uh, God, bind the devil. And Jesus said, you bind the devil. How long do you keep your job if you keep telling your boss to do what he told you to do? <laughs> so we may not know what we're doing, but we still have the command, the commission to bind the devil, which means what? It means to hold him. It's a binding contract. The contract was established in Scripture through the blood of Jesus. and We hold the enemy to the contract. It's a binding contract, what Jesus said. He said, I will trample on the powers of darkness. And so to bind the enemy is to hold him accountable to what the scripture says. So Jesus in this situation, he stops the storm and then he asks his disciples, how come they're so weak in faith? Because they were trained to speak to the storm. But instead they got him to do it. Now this is not a moment of punishment, it's not a moment of shame. It's a moment of realization that we've got growing to do. I oftentimes will ask him to come and intervene in a situation where he actually anointed me to intervene in the situation. I'm not the answer. You understand that you're not the answer, but he has still chosen us to co-labor with him, to speak to the mountain, to, to say to this situation, be uprooted and removed. And this story helps me to understand another aspect, a part of the renewed mind. And I'm going to wrap it up here in just a minute with this thought. The renewed mind lives with the realization that sometimes God would rather do something through you than for you. I remind you, I think I mentioned it already this week, but I remind you of the wonderful story of Israel traveling through the wilderness into the promised land. In the wilderness, God did everything for them. He protected them with the cloud by day and the fire by night to keep them warm. He, um, he provided for them the manna on the ground, the water out of the rock, the clothes never wore out. And they were daily sustained through God's supply. But that was actually training for their promise. And the promise, don't forget, is when they got into the promised land, the manna stopped and they actually had to plant crops. The ambition of the Lord was to see his people obey him in such a way that he could co-labor with them and their crops would be planted, but he would breathe upon them and bring greater increase than could be expected. It's the co-laboring role. And we have this continuously in the Christian life. The maturity is not forgive me for this, but it's not just going to the mailbox every day getting a faith check that keeps us alive. That's great training for the promised land, but the promised land is to be able to generate the income. Now, I realize there are unique and specific calls for different people. I, I don't want to in any way uh, put that down, but I, I just want to say, well, T.D. Jakes put it this way. I heard it uh, this last week. He said, he said, most of my people are praying for tables and chairs. God doesn't make tables and chairs. He makes trees. 
that. I like that so much. In other words, he, he creates the context for you to co-labor with him to see certain things happen. Of course, we want to do everything in obedience to him, not our own agendas, not trying to force our will upon him. I get that. One of my opening comments on Sunday was the fact that we are often reminded we can do nothing without him. And our problem is we've learned to do nothing with him. He's actually called us into a co-laboring role. He's the strength. He's the authority. He's, the, he's all, the, all the stuff. But still, he, he, he waits for me to cooperate with him so certain things can happen and be released into the earth. So here in this moment, the disciples communicate with God. He responds to their need. He solves it for them, but he's disappointed in their weakness of faith because they were actually trained, equipped, and sent into a storm to deal with any obstacle to what he said was his will. He said, we're going to the other side. John the Baptist was eight days old when he was dedicated. <clears throat> he was prophesied over a profound word. How much of it did he understand? None of it. It just needed to be said. Sometimes things just need to be said. In the kingdom of God, Oftentimes, things haven't happened because things haven't been said. I don't mean we create our own reality. I, I, I don't mean any of that. But see, we are, we are born into this family where it has become our nature to hear the voice of God. He said, my sheep know my voice. If you entertain thoughts that is different than that, then you're entertaining a lie. You're weakening your own ability to hear the voice of God because it's written into your DNA to hear What happens if you're talking to someone who has, who's very hard of hearing? You raise your voice. You make sure that, I make sure they're watching me. They can read my lips. I take it upon myself to be heard. Do you think you, think you have a hard time hearing from God? Well, guess what? He takes it upon himself to be heard. Oftentimes we disqualify ourselves through our own unbelief, through our own issues. And we've just, we have to get over our, our history of disappointments and all the stuff and just put them in their right place and come into a confidence with what God said about us, who we are. He said, my sheep know my voice. It was put in me when I received Christ. It is my nature to move in faith. I can mess it up but I can also cooperate with him. And faith is the normal expression of a believer. Believer. One of the great mysteries in life is the fact that there are unbelieving believers and there are believing unbelievers. <laughs> but things are happening, amen, where we are becoming believing believers, and that's what we're doing. So I want you to stand with me.
I've talked as much as I need to tonight, and we're going to, uh, in a few minutes, pray for people, and the Lord Jesus will do again what he does. But before we do that, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. God's voice is so, so unique. It's all anchored in scripture, of course. But the way he talks to us is, is just so, so fascinating. The more I discover how he talks, the more I realize I have to adjust my listening to his way of speaking. When you're a brand new believer, he speaks according to how you hear. But as you mature, he changes the way he speaks and you have to adjust to hear. It's like adjusting from AM to FM. You have to adjust from one dial to another. It's your job to find out where he's speaking. And for those who have a heart to hear his voice, who live literally to hear his voice, sometimes it's the most peaceful, calming word. Sometimes it's a direction. Sometimes he shows you something that needs to be done. But if we could somehow adjust our expectation that today I will once again hear the voice of God. It may be through an unusual coincidence. It may be through uh, unusual circumstance. It can happen in any number of ways. It may be that I'm reading in my devotional and I'm reading the Bible and a phrase he highlights to me and it just is food for my soul. But today I will hear the voice of God. Say that with me. Today I will hear the voice of God. Say it again. Today, I will hear the voice. One more time. Today, I will hear the voice of God. It's our design. It's our design. 